Awesome. So we're back. We're going to be reviewing a, a, for just a couple minutes. We'll review what we talked about last week just because we have some people here that weren't here. Lesson 12, titled The Second Death. And this kind of concludes this little section of series of lessons that we've been doing that um, have been talking about the end, the result of sin, all this stuff. So last week, just to review, one of the big highlights that we talked about was the idea of punishment and how it's used in usually one or two different ways. Punishment as a means of like justice, you know, getting somebody what they deserve or a punitive aspect to it. And then the other item was punishment used as a tool in like discipline or training, like as a teaching tool more of how a parent would you know a loving parent would punish their child to use to try to teach them or help them learn and so the key highlight from last week's discussion was how the biblical evidence supports and god's character supports that when god punishes or disciplines it's for the and i guess the the actual quote here was to help you grow in righteousness in his character, right? So his whole, the whole point for him when he disciplines you, or if you rather use the word punish, is to help you grow and be more like Christ. Not, you're getting what you deserve, I'm making myself feel better because I'm mad at you, and so now I'm punishing you, right? Not the human view of justice, essentially, right? And so the big point of that that we, draw, that we brought out was... And this is will segue us into today's conversation, and maybe we will. Maybe we'll read the paragraph there on the top of page one fifty five, but I'll carry over from one fifty four. So, last paragraph here on one fifty four, leading into one fifty five, says the purpose of the chastening, um, which is the Greek word used for training children spoken of in the text of Hebrews 12, 6 through 11, is to produce the peaceful fruits of righteousness. That is, produce right behavior that results from a right character. But if God subjects the wicked to painful suffering after the final judgment, aware that they are hardened in their sin and will not change, what purpose would that serve other than saying to the rest of the universe, if you disobey me, this is what I will do to you? Then the motive for obeying and loving God would be the fear of what he will do to us if we don't do as he wishes and God is, and to God that is unacceptable. So that's kind of where we left our conversation last week. Because what we're learning is the idea of the sinner's eternal burning hell, eternal torment, punishment, that whole idea. right? Even, and even the, what Bless is talking about. Even if you don't believe in eternal burning hell, but you believe that God will punish you in the end for your sin. So the whole point that we're learning is if you're hardened in rebellion and resistant to growth and change, then I think, Lola, you brought this up at the very end last week. There's no reason for God to punish you because there's no growth going to happen at that point, right? So moving down into 155 now, so we'll pick it up today. Um, the paragraph here states, which of these two methods we believe God uses depends upon our understanding of God's character. We talk about that a lot. What law lens, how do you understand, interpret God's character? Jesus wanted the disciples to understand that the spirit, or the nature of a person, that would painfully burn sinners alive is not of God. Uh, Mom, would you like to read Luke 9, 52 to 56? And as they went, they entered a village of the Samaritans to prepare for him. But they did not receive him, because his feast was set for the journey to Jerusalem. And when his disciples, James and John, saw this, they said, Lord, do you want us to command fire to come down from heaven and consume them, just as Elijah did? But he turned and he rebuked them and said, You do not know what manner of spirit you are of. For the Son of Man did not come to destroy men's lives, but to save them. And they went to another village. Thank you. 
verse popped in my head, John 3, 16, For God's love of the world, He sent His only Son, so that the world through Him might be saved. Not be destroyed, not be punished, not be hurt, not be anything but to be saved. So what do you think of that? It's important that we think of God, um, the following paragraph. When we think of God, we have to remember what Jesus said. What did Jesus say? When you think of the Father, what did Jesus say about the Father? John 10.30. I and the Father are one. And my Father are one. If you've seen me, you've seen the Father. So... The next conclusion that the author here is making is if Jesus would not do it, then God would not do it. So our opinion and our understanding of God and who he is must be based on the life and teachings of Jesus Christ, who came for that very purpose. And I think that's what's really amazing about our church here at Collective Journey. One of the principles of our purpose statement is understanding God's character through Jesus. That's our whole point. We look, we're looking through the lens of Jesus to understand the kind of person God is. Because we take that, we take that literally. When Jesus says, I and the Father are the same, you've seen me, you've seen the Father. Hebrews 1, I think he says Jesus is the exact representation, the thought, the very thoughts of God made audible in the person of Jesus. Like we take that literally for what it says. Any thoughts on that so far, what we've covered to kind of get us started? I think for me, just really getting that in my mind, I and the Father are one. You know, I was taught all my life that um, that Jesus' death on the cross, that he then stands between me and God. So when God looks at, looks at me, he doesn't see me. He only sees Jesus. But that is a false teaching. That's false. Because if Jesus is standing before me, so is the Father. If he and the Father are one, then they're one. So my brain says, well, if Jesus died on the cross to show me the Father's love, the Father did too. Yeah. And the Bible speaks that there's a passage somewhere, I don't know off the top of my head, but it's like the, the, the God was in the Son, reconciling the world to himself. Mm -hmm. not Jesus was reconciling God to the earth, like Correct. the creative change of God. No, they were together trying to bring the world to them. Yeah. Right. Just to show the world how much they truly, truly loved us. Yeah. That's good. Um, and the last lesson here at the bottom of this page, and this is going to segue into a pretty cool conversation, the last lesson we learned about um, God's wrath and how... We, we talked about this last week, I think, Morgan, you brought up a really good point. We tend to take our view of God, or our view of how men work, and we apply it to God, rather than learning how God works and applying it into our lives, right? We tend to do that. Well, that's ultimately what Satan wants us to do, because our understanding is human society. Well, that's how God, that's how Satan works, right? So, so when we learned about God's wrath is not burning people up, getting mad, getting even, right? But God's wrath is sadly giving people up as sinners determined to go their own way. They're hardened in heart, hardened in their sin, hardened in rebellion. And so love requires freedom, and so love requires God to say, well, okay, then go. Right? So when we flip the page over to 156, we have lots of biblical support to support this idea that that God gives people up to reap the result of their own decisions. Let's just read these passages. They're great. Um, Lola, would you mind reading the first one? Psalms 9. Sure. The nations have sunk down in the pit which they made, in the net which they hid. Their own foot is caught. The Lord is known by the judgment he executes. The wicked is snared in the work of his own hands. So how do you understand that? What words can you change around and interpret that? Because this is a specific translation of the Bible. It's a New King James Version, right? So how can you change that around to not use the legal terms, the darker terms, because it's really easy for our minds to connect with words like judgment, execute. You know what I mean? Like Because that's 
the legal penal system. But what's a way you can rephrase that or maybe even paraphrase it or even understand it that puts God in a better light, more of healer, more of reconciling growth? Well, can you read it again? The nations have sunk down in the pit which they made, in the net which they hid. Their own foot is caught. The Lord is known by the judgment he executes. The wicked is snared in the work of his own hands. So it's two words that we can change. To me, that whole thing just says natural consequences. It does. Absolutely. Right? But you can change two words in there that have the same meaning. Right? If you change the word from judgment to diagnose, the Lord is known by his diagnosis. Because when you use the word judgment, what does that sound like to you? The judge behind the thing, I judge, I decree, correct? Mm -hmm. But if you use the word diagnose, then your whole frame shifts in your mind a little bit. Because a doctor doesn't, I judge you guilty, the doctor diagnoses the reality of the condition of what's going on. The reality is there is judgment. And, and to change those words, I think, is dangerous. Because it says what it says. Absolutely. And, you know, and, and unfortunately, by our fruits, we will be known. Absolutely. 100%. Absolutely. And so if we do that, though, the Lord is known by his diagnosis. He executes, right? Executes another word for, you know, he's doing something. Puts he's, an action. Puts an action. Thank you, Mark. Yeah. The wicked is snared in the work of their own hands. Right? So the, the whole exercise here is to try to help us. Because, like, uh, a lot of times we can read the Bible and we, we come across a phrase and it's like, let me finish my thought here. I'll get to you, Seth. You know we interpret it through a lens that we were taught growing up. And so it's a good exercise of like, how can I think of this to a guy that looks more like Jesus? The problem with language is mm -hmm. that we, we can interpret the same words in multiple different ways. Mm -hmm. And so that's why like, it's really actually quite limiting. Mm -hmm. And especially words like that in the modern time, do have a negative stigma. Mm. Mm -hmm. And so I see exactly what you're trying to say, for sure. Um, I think diagnosis is a, a good synonym for what your, what your point is. Um, Psalm 34, 21, Evil shall slay the wicked, and those who hate the righteous shall be condemned. Okay, so the point in that verse is it's not God slaying the wicked, it's evil that's slaying the wicked. Um, do you have... Angel, do you have Proverbs 11, 5? I'm not sure we can have. Yeah. The righteousness of the blameless will direct his way all right. But the wicked will fall by his own wickedness. Again, right? It's nat it's a natural consequence. It's design law being described. The wicked don't fall by an act of God. The wicked fall by their own wickedness. Um, Sarah, do you want to do Ezekiel 22, 29? People of the land have used oppressions, committed robbery, and mystery of the poor and needy, and they wrongly oppress the stranger. Hmm. So, we'll follow up with the next verse, right? Verse 31. So, the people who do that, they oppress, they commit robbery, they mistreat the poor and needy, and they wrongly oppress the stranger. So, what does God do to those people? Verse 31, Sarah. Therefore, I poured out my indignation on them. I have consumed them with the fire of my wrath, and I have recompressed their recompense their deeds on their own heads, says the Lord. So how do you interpret that? What does that mean to you? What's that verse saying to you? How do you understand that? Is that telling somebody, you know, I'm really disappointed in you, but you do what you need to do. You know, I'm just, you need to learn yourself what is God saying when he says I have recompensed their deeds on their own heads because he's he's giving you the answer you know Ezekiel here is giving you the answer for when he says therefore this is what God will do therefore I have poured out my ignition on them if you stop right there what can you what can you come away with God is bringing something from the outside and he's putting it into the situation I am pouring out something onto you right and if you keep, I have consumed them with the fire of my wrath. Again, if you read that just like that, 
you can say, well, then God is doing something from the outside and he's destroying them. But then if you let the text, if you let the Bible interpret itself in this situation, what does that look like? What is, when God says, I will pour out my indignation, I will consume them with my wrath, well, then what, what does that look like? And the answer is, I have recompensed their deeds on their own heads. Their deeds on their heads. In other words, I'll just let the result of their choice happen to them. Right, so is he actually punishing us, or are we just punishing ourselves? You see that fire is not necessarily like, I'm going to just zap you with firebolt and make you... It, what it is, he's going to unveil his glory, and there's no and his wrath. He's not going to worry about what's going to happen to you, and you're not going to live looking at his glory, and you're going to get knocked. You're going to die. It's it's not like he's going to enjoy you the fiery torment of you burning alive. It's more of you're going to have your own conscience, mm -hmm. and it's going to. It's going to do you in. Mm -hmm. Well said. And the lesson kind of brings it out here a little bit, probably by the end of our discussion, we'll get to that point. Um, so in these texts, it's clear that God allows the wicked to suffer the consequences of their own actions. Which, I mean, I think right now, he's purposely holding back. Absolutely. The Bible talks about that. Right? He I passed mean, over the sins that were, you know, that whole thing. Yes. Right. So it's not like they shouldn't or couldn't have that full consequence at this moment. He's just choosing to give them the opportunity as long as possible yeah. to change. And so he's, he's, you know, holding that back at this moment until he has no other option. You know, in Peter's writings, I don't know if it's first, second, or third Peter, but he, but Peter says that God, um, In other words, like God delays to allow people to, to heal, to grow. God delays to allow people to come to repentance. And I, and I think of it this way. It's exactly what you said, Sarah. There, when my brother years ago hit a tree of the dirt bike, was lifeline in the hospital and was on life support for 70 couple days in the ICU on life support. Right? Medical technology these days allowed us to put Kevin in an altered state of reality to delay the natural consequences of his choice. He should have died. Right? He was on life support. A machine was breathing for him for weeks because of the damage to his lungs. Delayed what was due my brother to allow healing to take place. So that's, that is an absolute literal object lesson to understand exactly what Sarah was talking about and what God is doing right here. He's delaying. He's got this whole world, all of us, on life support to allow some healing to take place. And eventually, once no one else is willing to heal and everyone is sealed for or against, then God's going to remove the life support. And what it is is what it is, and that's what Mark was talking about. When God removes the life support... Because there's no one left to save there's no one no more need for the life support and it is what it is right so the wicked God allows them to suffer the consequences of their own actions they suffer because what they are and what they do not because God inflicts pain or trouble upon them in order to punish them agree disagree add to that thoughts on that agree I think that that system that you just described is required for free will to exist. Mm. Like if if God didn't allow those things to happen to people who chose certain things, that wouldn't be free will. 100%. And also at the same time, if he inflicted outside punishment, that wouldn't be free will either. Mm. should say more about that piece. If he inflicts outside punishment, it wouldn't be free will. Well, because it means that what we decide to do isn't actually really our choice. Hmm. At least in my mind. That's how it makes sense to me. Hmm. It seems like there, there, 
almost needs, though, to come a point where, because, you know, as life goes on, people make decisions, they die. Babies are born. This, this constant regenerating of life here in this world. You know what I mean? So it seems like there, there has to come some point in time where God says, okay, enough is enough. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. Otherwise, life just keeps regenerating itself and just goes on and on and on and eons of time. Mm-hmm. You know, um, I don't know. I've been, I, I heard a sermon this week kind of about that, and I just kind of thought, you know, there has to come an end point. Mm-hmm. Otherwise, rebirth, rebirth, things just keep mm-hmm. going on. And when, when is it or what is it? Do you have an answer for that? The answer I, of I, when? I don't ha- No, okay. no. Because no man knows what time. But it seems like in God's brain there has to be some end point. So no one knows. Sorry, go ahead. Go. I, I mean, well, I have an idea. Well, I mean, this is just my opinion, but um, I don't really I don't really think that we're evolving. We're de-evolving, all right? So that means the more you know, distorted we are as time goes on, the less likely we're going to make the right decisions. So therefore, there has to be some point where, you know, we're... Enough's enough. Yeah. So I completely agree with that. And the fact that, like, and I don't know exactly where this is, but it says something like, you know, he, God will, it will get to a point where he comes back because if he doesn't, oh, no, there will be say. no righteous left. You know, there'll be nobody saved. So that tells me that, like, that the human condition will get to the point where, like, it will get so terrible that either, like, there's no good left. I mean, that's what happened with Noah, right? Like, he decided to clean up the earth because there were so few good people left. He's like, I've got to restart. So, like, that kind of leads me to believe that there has to be a point where it's like, okay, there's, you know, it's go- we're going to start going the opposite direction. Like, people are not going to continue to heal and get better. We're going to go the opposite direction. Those people that maybe, you know, would have been saved. Now, would it be? I, I don't know. Um, we'll go Angel and then we'll go Mark. Yeah, honestly, I think we're getting there. I mean, you know, the Bible says that the, the good will become bad and the bad will become good. And I think we're in those times already. I think we're, that's being fulfilled already. And I think as the world gets more evil and, you know, stuff that years ago, you know, it's like you wouldn't think or hear about it, especially with the social media and stuff. I mean, the evil stuff that people do nowadays and it's becoming more prevalent, you know, and more is, I don't know, it's, 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 it's not the same world that we lived like 15, 20 years ago. It's just becoming so. I don't know. <laughs> I think I think we're getting there, Mark. Well, the whole thing aspect of a choice, right? When you're presented with information, you have the ability to make a choice one way or the other. And a lot of people shun the information. You know, they they call themselves atheists or agnostics or whatever it is. They kind of just, you know, they they shut their ears to the information, it doesn't mean that the information is incorrect. It just means they're in denial of that information. And that in itself is a choice. It's like, I'm going to put it aside. It's not, you know, it's not for me. Whatever it is that they go and do. But the reality is, this is a real game. And, you know, it's like, in your head, you can have all these nasty thoughts, you can have all these, you know, things, but what do you do with that? Do you act on that, or do you actually act like you should? And that's a choice, you know? If I acted how my mind is, I'm a murderer, I'm, I'm, I'm a mean dude, but I don't act on it, because that's the choice there. But it's, it's one of those things where when God pulls back his, you know, and, you know, pours forth his wrath, all he's simply doing is taking his glory and veil and just saying, here I am. Can you take it? 
And unfortunately, those that turn their back or choose not to even approach the subject, they've already made a choice to say no. And it's sad. The, um, to Mom's question, while you guys were just kind of processing here, I took down a couple of thoughts that were kind of hitting to my head. Um, when you said, like, okay, so God, we don't know the time, but the answer of, like, there has to be a time, like a when, you know? We don't know when, but the what. Jesus in the Gospels, when he says something like, you know, when the Gospel goes to the whole world, right, then the end will come, right? So there's a what. And then if you read in Revelation, it talks about those who are sealed, the idea of sealing those who are sealed on the forehead with the knowledge of God and those who are sealed on their hand of the forehead into the beast. So there's another what, okay? And, and so when you connect those two pieces together, the gospel isn't Jesus died for your sins, although he did, right? The gospel, the good news, the eternal good news is the truth about God's character. He's not like Satan claims him to be. So when the truth about God, he's creator, he's design law, goes to the whole world, Exactly like Mark said, when you're presented with information, now you have a choice to make. So if you choose to internalize the evidence and you then choose to trust God, you no longer trust self, you're trusting God. So much that you're settled into the truth about God that you can't be moved, you're sealed on your forehead, okay? Or the same person says, I don't think that's like God. I choose to trust this other system that looks like the world, that looks just like Satan's view of God so much to the point that you are sealed, you can't be moved, right? A great way to describe this is like Waco, Texas with the whole cult going on down there, right? You had people inside, you had people on the outside, and they eventually like burned the whole place up, right? You had those inside were sealed like, this is, this is the way, this is the way, right? And people on the outside were like, that's a cult. You're not convincing me to go in there. You couldn't convince any of those groups one way or the other. They were dead set. They were dead set in their convictions. There's nothing more that can be done to sway them one way or the other, right? So, then the end will come. Why? Because everyone's hearts is made up. Everyone's heart is made up. There's nowhere, there's no one else trying to figure out for or against one way or the other. Everyone is made up. The whole world is now in two groups. The Adventists and the Catholics. No, not at all, right? That's a joke. <laughs> the whole world is two groups. Those who trust God and are motivated by love and those who trust self and are motivated by fear and selfishness. Period. Those are the dividing lines. And then the end will come. Right? So we know the what, but only God knows when that happens. Right? I heard a quote this week, which is really neat. Ellen White talks about why... There is such a need for such a diverse group of workers for God because one person may reject the truth that you are trying to teach them, but accept the truth from the way someone else might present to them. So just because somebody says no and rejects the, the, your ministry or truth doesn't mean they're lost, right? Only God knows their hearts and who and when and how they accept one way or the other. So connecting that here to the to our lesson, if when when that happens, right, when we have these two groups, if God intentionally inflicts trouble and pain upon those upon the group who reject him, we have every reason to fear God. We have every reason to fear God. If God intentionally inflicts pain and suffering on the group that don't trust him. We have every reason to fear. On the other hand, if we look at it this way, if the group that don't trust him are left to suffer and die by the result of their choice, we have no reason to fear God, but we have every reason to fear sin and selfishness. A person who smokes two packs a day their whole life doesn't fear the doctor. They fear the cancer that might show up from the cigarettes, right? They don't understand the doctor. They might fear the doctor. And that's the point. And that's the point, Seth, right? People don't understand who God is. Mm -hmm. 
fundamentally, there you go. So if we check page 157, the next paragraph, this is where we get into some really cool, some really cool ideas about this idea of pain and torment. Um, do I have a volunteer to read that paragraph? Make no mistake. Make no mistake. There will be torment for the unrepentant sinner, but it will not be the physical pain of literal fire. The suffering of the wicked in the end will be a heart-wrenching, agonizing pain of despair, terror, and remorse as they come to realize the truth of their hopeless condition. That, what do you think of that? The first sentence in that paragraph, there will be torment for the unrepentant sinner. Nobody's saying that it's not going to suck. I mean, we'll find some biblical evidence to support that. There will be. Weeping and gnashing of teeth. That's exactly right. Yep, we're going to get into that. Yep. So let's look at Revelation. And we're going to kind of gain some context to this a little bit. Uh, can someone read for us Revelation 20, 7 through 10? Now when a thousand years have expired, Satan will be released from his prison and will go out to deceive the nations, which are in the four corners of the earth, Gog and Magog, to gather them together to battle, whose number is as the sand of the sea. They went up on the breadth of the earth and surrounded the camp of the saints and the beloved city, and fire came down from God out of heaven and devoured them. All right, so summary statement. So let's dig a little bit more, I guess, a little bit more details. We'll read Revelation 20, 11 through 15. You want to read that again? Keep going. You want to keep yeah. going with that? Sure. Yeah. Then I saw a great white throne and him who sat on it, from whose face the earth and the heaven fled away. And there was no, and there was found no place for them. And I saw the dead, small and great, standing before God, and books were opened. And another book was opened, which is the book of life. And the dead were judged according to their works, by the things which were written in the books. The sea gave up the dead who were in it, and death and Hades delivered up the dead who were in them. And they were judged, each one, according to his works. Then death and Hades, parentheses, death and the grave, were cast into the lake of fire. This is the second death. And anyone not found written in the book of life was cast into the lake of fire. Okay. A lot of symbolism, a lot of imagery, a lot of descriptive language. So, in summary, as the hardened sinners are gathered around the city, imagine that every person who's ever lived on the earth is there. I think I'll always have to expand the earth a little bit. <laughs> Supernatural, no doubt. Yeah. The city is going to be 400 miles cubed. That's so, a lot of people. That's huge. 400 miles cubed, that's like bigger than Pennsylvania cubed. That's bigger than, yeah, that's huge. Wow. Like, is it like, like, like the size of like the East Coast or something? Like something pretty much. That, All right. That's a massive... That's that's possible. I think everyone who's ever lived could fit in that, in that amount of space, but we'd be pretty close to each other. So, the, you know, this is the time the Bible talks about we shall all stand before the judgment seat of Christ, Romans 14.10. Right? This, this is what's being talked about. That Christ describes the despair of the lost when they find themselves outside those walls. So Jesus, again, Jesus reveals who God is. So God said, Luke 13.28, there will be weeping and gnashing of teeth when you see Abraham and Isaac and Jacob and all the prophets in the kingdom of God and yourselves thrust out. Thrust out by your choice. Your choice. choice. You don't want to be there to begin with. So the next paragraph has a really interesting thing that he kind of draws out and I think maybe it would be good to kind of discuss this and see what y'all think, what your thoughts are on this. He talks about the, the, the torment that the lost feel or experience is, a, is directly connected to the severity of suffering that will correspond with the measure of guilt because the measure of guilt depends on the amount of knowledge 
the more knowledge of God and his righteous ways they have rejected, the more guilt and condemnation they will experience. And the reality of that will be clearly shown to them at the great white throne judgment. Agree, disagree? Thoughts on that? Yes. Agree. Why? <laughs> because, I mean, they have been, we've been deceived by Satan. Mm-hmm. So, and who would know more than Satan about God's true character, 100%. his true personality, his true nature, than Satan? And then his angels followed along, but they were easily coerced by him. He deceived them. So, I, I do see that because you have people who, again, I think I said this last week, they grow up in certain situations. They didn't know God. They weren't raised with God, you know, so what they thought was okay to do, even though it's not okay to do, they thought it was okay because that's how they grew up. You know what I mean? And that's very different. It's like a not knowing. It's like they didn't know. They didn't know God. They didn't know to be different. Mm. So mm. I do see that very much, yeah. you know? And then yeah. there's different levels all the way up. Sure, sure. But I think it's the realization. It's when that cover of deceit falls and they see it and they get it and they're like oh. and they realize what they've done you know by their own choices and all of that well then that that guilt that shame and all of that and like you said last week they will die of broken hearts because they now come to the realization that they didn't know or some of them knew and put aside you know what i'm saying yeah. so but yeah. but you have those you're gonna have those different camps of people yeah. you know because you have the ones that didn't know but rejected it right. it was still a choice right. we mentioned earlier about the mark in the forehead and the mark in the hand so mark mm -hmm. in the forehead your thoughts and what you what you believe and where you put your trust the mark in the hands is what you do with what you think your actions mm -hmm. you know and what you do with what you know or what you you know choose not to know well and then i've always had grown up with the thought that that meant in your head was you were a believer you were all in mm -hmm. and in your hand it was you're going along with it because if you don't mm -hmm. you're going to reap consequences mm -hmm. so you know there you go mm -hmm. so Two how can we so how can we apply like the idea of the weeping and gnashing teeth outside the city to say like, okay, what's the object lesson to say, like, we experience what that's like right now to help people connect with that, to understand this concept? Because people, yeah, well, they all die because God kills them outside the city, right? God, like to what Mark was saying, when God reveals his glory, well, that's what kills them. Well, is it, though? Or is something else? So my question is, have we've all watched the news and... Um, what was the guy's name? Years ago, there was a politician who had a lifestyle of like sending naked pictures of himself to underage kids. And it came out. Got snared in his own net. He got snared in his own net yeah. and the truth came out. Yes. Right? Now, we have also heard stories of situations like that. A person in denial, they have this whole thing going on and then it comes out mm -hmm. and they commit suicide. Mm-hmm. Why do they commit suicide? Because the pain of the truth, they would rather die than experience the pain of the truth finally coming out. Now you also know people who the truth comes out and they don't commit suicide, but they will describe the feelings they're having. And, and all of us in this room have experienced this to one degree or another, from very, very small to very, very severe. It feels like a burning in your chest when it comes out. When you're feeling the truth, the realization of what's going on, and now it's out, oh, boy, does it hurt. It burns like fire in your chest. And what's burning? Love and truth. Truth is burning. I have felt like this whole time, like today, with mm -hmm. this lesson, mm -hmm. I've, I felt like the verse in the Bible that talks about, by beholding you become changed. Mm -hmm. I oh, feel like... Sure. It should have been applied to this. You know what I mean? Like this whole time I'm thinking, 
because because when that person changes, they're no longer the same as they were created to be. Right. Okay. Right. So you've delved into different ideas and things and morals or whatever, and you are now that because you're in it. You're yeah. you're doing it. You know what I mean. And and now you are not. You are not sustainable to life. Right. Because when he reveals himself, if he reveals his glory, he reveals that to the people who are saved and they do not burn up. Right. So why right. why would they? Right. Otherwise, it's just, and it goes back to a few weeks back, but I'm saying it's a chemical reaction almost, yeah. you know? Yeah. And it's yeah. just like, I just can't get that out of my head. Yeah. Because God is love and God is the source of truth. Mm -hmm. And so, what, as Mark described, when God unveils himself, what is he unveiling? Pure truth. Mm -hmm. Pure, unfiltered, raw, the truth. Mm -hmm. In the love. Mm -hmm. And if you're, and, and the lesson points this out when it goes into the idea of name equals character. If your character, by your own choices, has been resistant to truth the whole time. You know, you can never avoid the truth. You can only delay the day you deal with it. So when, when God says unfiltered truth, here I am, and you've been resistant to truth your whole life, what's that going to do to you? You can't, you can't avoid it anymore. It's black and white. There's no gray. There you go. Yes, there is no gray in that moment. It's absolutely black and white. And, and, that's, and that's where you, you've seen, you know, you know they would I... rather die. They give up in the spirits. They surrender their life. Just like the politician who commits suicide. I would rather die than deal with this truth. So do those on the outside of the city. I would rather die than deal with the truth. I it just shows how taken there. Like, it just shows how dark So, Molly, you got a comment. You know, I'm just sitting here thinking, a couple weeks back we had a discussion about the, the lake of fire. Right. That was, you know, just God's glory. But I'm thinking now... You know, there have been times when God did wipe out evil. He did. He flooded the world to wipe out evil. That was an act of God. He had to wipe it out and start over. Um, the city of Sodom and Gomorrah. He rained sulfur fire because they were so wicked. There was only one family that was worth saving, and he told them to get out because that was so bad. And he burned up that city um so i'm starting to wonder now based on those two incidences where he did reap destruction because it was so evil that when his city comes down yes there's his glory that ex you know exposes his truth and reality to people and so the ones that are outside of the city see that some acknowledge and some don't because their hearts are so hard but does God then truly, in mercy, bring that fire down and consume them so that they're gone? Not, it's not just his glory that makes it happen. You know what I mean? I, I don't know, and there probably really isn't an answer. It's just something now that I has, you know, I'm thinking about. What do you think? Go ahead. What do you think? I see, I see it kind of as the same situation because... Like in Sodom and Gomorrah and the, the the white flood and everything, it's he did that, not he did that in consequence of our own actions. Mm -hmm. So it's like I don't know. Did he discipline us or did we or did we just punish ourselves? We brought that on ourselves. Right. Yeah. So it's like because we we all had choices. I don't know. I, I see what you're saying. Yeah. I yeah. think it's both. I think it's, you know, it is his glory, but it's the fire of it. And like it says, um, the lake of fire will be destroyed like Sodom and Gomorrah. Because we know about it, because we read about, wrote about it, but there's nothing that exists of it. It's gone. There's no, you know, there's no archaeology. There's, no there's nothing to dig up. It's gone. It's destroyed. So same thing. People will just be gone. Yeah, forever, like they said, it'll just be gone. It'll be, you know, it's a, it's a fire. It's a glory. It's a, all of that that we just can't comprehend. It just makes you, you know, vanish. You're just... Incinerated. 
No ashes, no nothing. If you jump to 159, Frank, it talks exactly about what you're describing. Middle paragraph there. Um, you want to read that? It starts with, remember the text in Revelation? On page 159. Remember the text in Revelation says, Fire comes down from God out of the heaven and devours them. There is a biblical evidence that this fire does not kill them, but that they are already dead. And this fire devours only their dead bodies. We have an example from the Old Testament book of Book of Second Chronicles. Second Chronicles. Before we read that text, agree or disagree with what the author is saying there? Again, I agree. I agree. I, because okay. that's merciful. That's merciful. Right. His glory, they cannot stand before his glory. We know that because back in history, one of the prophets had to hide in a cave while God's glory passed before him. Or he, he veiled he says, his glory. Moses said, I want to see you. And, Moses, and God he said, said, you can't. can't see me and live. So I agree with that. That makes sense. His glory, they cannot stand that. And so they, they die from just that. But then the fire comes down and cleans up the earth. So That I can accept. Before we move on to the next thing, there's a couple questions I have. Was the death of all the people in the flood and the death of people in Sodom and Gomorrah um, punishment for sin? I've heard some people say that it was necessary for the preservation of Jesus' bloodline. Okay. And I'm not saying that that's a okay. valid excuse, but... Okay. All right. I can but, accept that. But was it punishment for sin? Was God punishing sin when he flooded the earth or when he killed people in Sodom and Gomorrah? I think it's more like this. He was cleaning up. cleaning up. They were already dead, if you will. Right. Yeah, they were pretty general. Yeah. Okay, but was it punishment for sin? See you. You're trying to like figure out maybe yes, no, ma okay. So because this is an important question, because when does the punishment for sin happen? After the throne, after the great white throne judgment. What's exactly what we're learning right now? What's what we're talking about? That's when punishment for sin happens. Which means, has God punished anybody for sin in history of creation yet? In the flood. Noah preached for 150 years. 20. Whatever it Semantics. is. <laughs> but to come in and bring your family so there's room in the boat. Mm -hmm. And everyone's like, you're a crazy old man. Right. You know what I mean? And they rejected the offer for being saved. Absolutely. So, yeah. I mean, yeah, if someone builds a, an ark in the middle of Kansas somewhere, yeah, <laughs> they're, they're a little special. Right, but it, it's it's that you know that kind of situation. They had the choice. Right. They didn't have to die. Right. Absolutely. But was it punishment for sin? How does the Bible define punishment? The wages of sin is death. death. Is there any resurrection for the wages of sin? No. Punishment for sin is eternal death. You no. Know, yeah. So no. No, it wasn't punishment. It was not because everyone who who were put to sleep in the flood by water everyone who was put to sleep in Sodom and Gomorrah by fire and brimstone will rise again so do you it's think that that was death. the first or the second death that's the first death so do you think they have a chance still hmm good question well anyways so let's let's think about it for a quick second if a nine-year-old is in Sodom and Gomorrah mm -hmm. or in the time of the flood said daddy I want to get on that boat I trust what knows is the same. And the daddy said, heck no, you are not getting on that crazy man's boat. Did the nine-year-old die? Yes, the nine-year-old drowned. But where was the nine-year-old's heart trust? He believed in the salvation of the boat. 100%. Mm -hmm. So just because they were all put to sleep does not mean they were all lost. Mm -hmm. Only God knows that. And so I, I believe we're gonna find people in heaven we're going to talk to and they're going to say dude you have no idea how scary the flood was yeah i died right but like they were there same with sodom and gomorrah think about that mm -hmm. yeah because it, it's not the death of the wicked it's it's sleep to your point for the purpose of leaving out uh, avenue open for messiah for jesus to come it's, it was a therapeutic intervention, right? Very extreme that Satan has done a great job of, like, saying, look at God. Exactly. And seeing both deaths are actually kind of merciful. You know, you yeah. get hit in the log by, and, and head to knocks you out and you drown. Yeah. You don't know anything different. 
Yeah. You, your fire comes down, put your roof on fire, you die of smoke inhalation before you die of burning. So think about that. It you was know, like the quickest, yeah. most... Exactly. It wasn't a slow, painful, torturous death. It was you as, fall asleep. It was Instant. quick as possible, as pain-free as possible. Absolutely. And that's what a doctor does when he has to, like, say, an amputated leg. They want to do it as quickly, as painlessly, with the least amount of damage possible. And that was one of the things that was it changed a little bit, but uh, it was really exciting for me when I learned about this. That you don't burn in hell forever, you know, you're just destroyed. I was like, you know, because I'm like, I thought, wow, then I could be a bad guy, and it really, I just die. You know, who cares? You know, I was like, it, it, it took away that fear of God punishing me or whatever. You know, right, it's like, okay, I choose to do my own thing. I have a lot of fun. It, you know, it, 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 seriously, I was like, okay. You know, because I had fear. Like, man, I'm yeah. going to burn forever for this crap that I'm doing. You know? <laughs> man, that gets a terrifying dirt, dirt, thought. Yeah, but then when I thought, man. But then, you know, I, I didn't. But, you, you know, you're like, I like that. I like that. Thanks. Well, that's, but then you still choose the right way. Yeah. Yeah, right. Yeah, yeah. You know, it's right. Bad. It's merciful. That's the whole deal. Right. You're just gone. You know, right. I'm not going to burn for it. Yeah. People aren't going to burn forever. They're not going to suffer. You're just going to be gone. They're, like they never existed. So draw a line across your page, 159, right there between, you know, at the top of Second Chronicles 7 and 11, or first one. That's where we're going to start next week. And we're we'll, starting on 159? Yeah. Okay. Yeah, Don't flip my marker. That's right. I'm Stick not it right get there. get it wrong next week. <laughs> So yeah, I, you know, this is there's such good juicy conversation. This thing goes slow because it's really really important to think to wrestle these out. So yeah, great talk. So yeah, let's pray. God, um, well, number one, I just hope that like as we're just wrestling with all of this, that ultimately you come out in the end looking merciful, looking good, looking like Jesus. Very very serious stuff. This. I mean, we're not talking about, you know. I mean, we're talking about life and death, eternal life and death. And, and we're talking about a, a point in time, ultimately, where I think we are going to watch you go through the most agonizing pain. And that is watching, you know, a, a countless number of people that you love and created pass or die forever because of their own choice. And, and, and so, like, I can't even imagine what that's going to be like. And I'm really sorry that, like, has to happen, unfortunately. So as we like take this information, first of all, help us with our own areas that we're still stuck in our understanding of you. And second of all, may we internalize these truths that we're uncovering so that when you bring us people in the future who have a false view of you, believe these things we can help guide them to the truth we can share the gospel to help bring about you know the end when it when the end of it will be done thank you for this group thank you for everyone's contributions and questions and insights what a great conversation we pray in your name amen, amen.